Welcome to the World Football Index Group D World Cup Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Miller, and I just got word today that my first ever World Cup wall chart has delivered to my house, so you know it is World Cup time. I'm joining you from Chicago, but we have a panel of experts from all around who will join us today to break down Group D. I'm joined, seemingly as always, by Tom Robinson, our Argentinian correspondent here on the World Football Index, based out of London. Tom, how are you today? I'm very good. Um, enjoying the British summertime of uh, a nice rainy day at the moment, and uh, it's second podcast recording of the day. So, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to chatting some more about Argentina and uh, the World Cup that's fast approaching now. And we're very happy to have as well... Deji Faremi joining us from Lagos in Nigeria. Deji, you're very welcome on the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Austin, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Very excited for this World Cup and very excited. This is the first World Cup preview podcast we're actually recording. So looking forward to that. Uh, Joining us later in the show, we'll be joined by experts on both Iceland and Croatia. As you can imagine, when we're trying to cover... Four different nations from four different distinct regions. It can be hard to get all of the experts in one place at one time. So they'll be joining us later on in the show. Have no fear. We'll cover all four of these nations in depth quite equally. But Tom, I want to start with you because I think fair or unfair, Argentina are the headliners in this group. And Tom, when you start with Argentina, you probably start number one with Lionel Messi and number two with how much they struggled during qualifying. Yeah, it's frankly been quite a disastrous qualifying campaign obviously they needed Messi to bail them out with that that hat-trick against Ecuador um basically it's uh, a number of issues have, have contributed to a lack of long-term focus in the team uh, I think the fact they were sort of consecutive Copa Americas uh, meant that they they really focused on trying to keep that same squad that got to the last World Cup final together and to try and have a shot at those Copa Americas, but obviously lost in the final of both of those. And issues at institutional level at AFA have uh, mean there's been three managers over the course of the qualifying campaign. There's just not been any real coherence of a plan. Um, but San Paoli's achieved a short-term aim, got them to the World Cup. Um, obviously, that messy dependence predates San Paoli, but he's not really been able to change it so far. And there's still a lot of questions about who's going to be in the squad um, and how far they might even go. So, yeah, the the mood is uh, mixed, to say the least. But, you know, Argentina are always going to be one of the certainly favourites to get out of the group, even if that is maybe slightly misplaced. Yeah, Tom, a lot of questions. Those questions increased by the injury to Sergio Romero this past week that Uh, controversially, you could almost say, took him out of the squad, the Manchester United goalkeeper. That leaves an opening between the sticks for Argentina. And Tom, outside of Messi and Otamendi, is there another name that you would say with complete confidence will start for Argentina? And even Otamendi, are you sure? Yeah, there's there's a few, I think. I don't think it's quite just, you know, Messi plus plus 10. I think, um, well, I think Di Maria is probably locked in. Fazio and Otamendi would probably be the starting centre-back pair. Um, and Aguero and Bilia should be starting if they both recover from their minor injuries. Um, it's looking likely that probably at full-back you'll have Tagliafico at left-back and Mercado at right-back. And Giovanni Lo Celso and Lanzini are looking like they're probably going to be in that starting eleven as well. But yeah, in terms of actual starters... 
you've probably got Messi, Di Maria, Fazio Otamendi, 100% right now, um, with a couple of others injuries pe- pending. And Tom, you said that uh, Fazio and Otamendi will be this central back pairing, and you use the word pairing there because there's been rumblings lately that Jorge Sampaoli is going to play some sort of warped, I can't remember the numbers in order, 2-3-2-2 two, two, two or something like that? What do you make of this? Will it happen? What formation will they play? Does anyone know? <laughs> well, there's been a lot of talk about this 2-3-3-2, two, three, three, two, which I think is, you know, you've got to take with a bit of a pinch of salt because realistically that's probably going to be end up more as a a flat back four with a with the full backs pushing on for width. So it's probably gonna be more of a four two three one or four one four one, something like that. I think the idea is more that rather than set positions of those players, then you're always gonna have someone filling in those kind of spaces. So whether that's one fullback pushing up and one of the central midfielders dropping back in, it's it's not gonna be just two guys defending i mean it might be in the friendly against haiti tonight but i think um i think generally speaking you'll you'll see something certainly without the ball with more of a four two three one is is what i'd expect so yeah we'll, we'll see sam Pauli obviously is famous for his attacking football that he played with chile but i think he's realized that he doesn't have the pace in defense or the the energy around the side to, to go for that same high pressing style so he's kind of almost left that philosophy behind and and almost gone well almost a u-turn to something a lot more pragmatic obviously he wants to dominate possession and he wants a lot of flexibility up front but i think it's not going to be quite as free-flowing as as people maybe would usually associate with the manager And Tom, do you think some of that is kind of the fear in Argentina that this could be an embarrassing World Cup? And so, okay, maybe Sampaoli has opted to play things ultra conservative here, play it safe. Argentina probably won't win the World Cup like this, but they won't be thoroughly embarrassed like this. Do you think that plays into it at all? Or is it simply Sampaoli realizing that he's dealing with a squad that for the most part is really old and this is kind of the best way to play with them. Which of those do you think it is? Is it a mixture of both? I'd say it was a mixture of both, especially after that friendly loss to Spain. That really kind of hit home as to the limitations of uh, some of the older players. But also he's got to work with the personnel that he's he's got and especially with the selection that he's gone for, it seemed like... He's realised the lack of time he really has to develop a coherent team and has gone with some of the more experienced members of the squad, let's say. So in an ideal world, you probably would have phased out Mascherano by now. Um, You probably would have maybe even moved on Belia and and a few other guys. But because he hasn't had much time with the squad, especially when he's been focusing on qualifying, he's not really settled on a definite style or system. So there's hopefully in this sort of few weeks building up to the tournament he's going to have more time to get an idea of what, what he can actually create but I would certainly say if Argentina get to the knockout stages we'll, we might see more of a pragmatic approach but then with Messi in your side that's always going to be a worry for other opposition and um, they'll be once again relying on that amazing attacking line that they've got you know if you can afford to leave out Icardi and 
Lautaro Martinez, then that shows you just how spoiled for choice they, they are up front. And Tom, we talked a bit about the injury to Sergio Romero in goal. That leaves a gaping spot between the sticks. Nahuel Guzman, the Tigres goalkeeper, the most capped of the players on in the squad now with just six. Willy Caballero from Chelsea only has two. And then, of course, World Football Index favorite Franco Armani moved to River Plate with the hopes of getting in the Argentine squad for the World Cup. He's done that, and now Tommy may be handed the starting position in goal. Yeah, that's one of the the big questions is who's going to get that number one. I, I think, you know, the choice to keep faith with Sergio Romero it was always a interesting one anyway. Sort of, again, sticking with what you know rather than trying something new. And to be fair, Romero had never really let the national team down. But now his that that's sort of choice has been taken away and it does seem like it's going to be between Armani and Caballero. Um, Armani is definitely the press favourite and he's he's kept about 13 clean sheets with River now since he joined them. But I think Caballero might get the nod. Um, he didn't have a great game against Spain, but I feel like he's, he's probably the favourite choice. Guzman's an interesting one because he's been around the squad for quite a while and is very good with his feet, which is, you know, partly why he was initially brought in by Martino and and you'd think he'd be a good fit for a San Paoli system. Um, but the fact that he was left out was uh, was a bit of a insult to him and his his dad, who's I think his dad's like a professional artist or something like that, did a pretty unflattering uh, caricature of, of San Paoli. So after leaving him out, he's then had to bring him back in. Um, he's been given the number one jersey, but I don't see him starting. Although, again... I'd be fine with that. Personally, I'd go with Armani just because I think he's in the best form, but his lack of uh, experience around the squad might count against him. That makes two of us who would go for Armani, but anybody who's listened to us on the South American Football Show is probably not surprised to hear that opinion on this podcast. Tom, we're recording this ahead of Argentina's friendly tonight at La Bomaneda against Haiti. It's expected to be an easy romp for them, as is their other friendly against Israel and Jerusalem. So we really won't see Argentina play until this World Cup starts. And when they do, they'll be going up against a varied set of opposition. There's a lot of differing tasks for Argentina and Sampaoli to face in this World Cup. Yeah, I, I think that is the, that's the key point, is there's a lot of different questions that each side are going to ask. Iceland, I think that's the first game, and all the pressure's going to be on Argentina. Iceland, first World Cup, nothing to lose. And they've shown as, you know, as an England fan, I've seen them beat, uh, you know, supposedly superior sides. So um, they could definitely frustrate Argentina and, and hit them on the break. And, you know, they did beat Croatia to top spot in, in the same qualifying group. So there's definitely a danger of us underestimating them, maybe a bit less so after the after the Euros. Um, I think Croatia have a much better midfield than Argentina that could easily overrun them. And Nigeria, as they showed in their 4-2 friendly win over Argentina not that long ago, have got the pace and and some quality players there that could worry a really slow defensive line. So looking at those three teams, they've all got different traits that that definitely worry this Argentina side. So I, th- I do think Argentina will qualify from the group, but it's not a sure thing. And finally, Tom, before we move on to the other teams in this group, what's the mood like in Argentina? Is there the fear that this could be a really poor World Cup for them? Is there the hope and the belief that this will be a great World Cup? It's a bit of a strange one, really, because on, on one side, you've always got a high expectation that Argentina should be challenging for, for that World Cup. It's um, 
so for some people it's only a success if Argentina win it. But having said that, I think the three consecutive final defeats and terrible qualification campaign has is given sort of a a slight weariness to to the fans and their expectations. Um, I think most people would treat a semi-final as a success. Personally, I think a quarter-final would be about par for for where they are right now. And even in some of the sort of commercials and stuff to to build up the hype, usually Argentina are great at putting out these very rousing, emotive uh, commercials before the World Cup. But if you look at some of them, like the Quilmes one, it was more of a kind of sort of a a guy stepping out onto a pitch and, and trying to sort of rally the the crowd, a sort of a cynical crowd together, kind of pull yourself together and get behind the boys. So San Paolo's stock isn't maybe as high as in Argentina as you'd think it would be, um, you know, given given his achievements uh, for Chile and all right showing there at Sevilla as well. So it's, I think it's mainly because he's, he's never really managed, managed in Argentina and there's been no signs of a real turnaround and the squad selection feels like, you know, Messi's gang still really so yeah it's it's kind of that feeling of yeah this is a side that hasn't really performed in in clutch moments before and I think most people would just be happy with with it, maybe a, a good performance and and quarterfinals sort of as, as a minimum and then that would be okay. Very interesting thank you so much Tom. Deji I'll now come on to you to talk Nigeria a third straight World Cup here for the Super Eagles and it's a familiar opponent in the group stage Nigeria and Argentina in a World Cup group stage it seemingly always happens does it not yeah it does and it's really worrying for Nigerians well yeah it's worrying because uh, Argentina always beat us but then what's even more worrying is the fact that they haven't beaten Nigeria by a large uh, margin or a large scoreline since they're facing each other Uh, that was in 1994 it's been 2-1 and it's been 3-2 at the last World Cup it's been 1-0 as well Uh, was 1-0 in 2002 was 1-0 in 2010 as well and I think you know it's been the major worry for Nigeria. Yes, we tend to, you know, get close to the Argentina team. Um, not not always far away. Last time out was two 0 first, and then two two. What was was one nil, and then one one two one, and then two two. Um, so yeah, it was pretty close uh, between Nigeria and Argentina. Ultimately, uh, they got to win by three goals to two. Uh, so yeah, it's it's worrying. It's it's almost like. Uh, you know, our nemesis, Argentina. And and you get the feeling that the, the friendly really was a major boost for Nigeria. The friendly win, uh, 4-2, that one. Uh, Nigeria were trailing by two goals as well. And, uh, you know, what was starting to set in again, uh, are we going to lose to Argentina again? Uh, these guys always have our number. But then, ultimately, we got to win by four goals to two. And I think, you know, somewhere at the back of the minds uh, of the players, um, I'm sure they're carrying that. If they need a result against Argentina in the third group game. I think for the first time, Nigeria will go into that game uh, with great optimism. Yeah, I watched that friendly match in November and was just astonished by the ease with which Nigeria cut up Argentina at the back. And again, it's a friendly, a long time before the World Cup, so I'm probably yeah, experimenting yeah. with that Argentina side. But you have to think, Deji, that there's at least something there for these players that can say, hey, you know, we have this experience of beating them. It couldn't have hurt to have beaten Argentina in this friendly, right? It couldn't, couldn't. Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it, it's all about the psychology. It's about the mental state of the players. And uh, for a side that has uh, perennially uh, defeated Nigeria, a side that has perennially, uh, you know, given us so much hurt, I think that friendly win would be really good. It would be a big boost for Nigeria. Uh, 
if we needed results in that final game. All right, let's talk a bit about this Nigerian squad as they head to the World Cup. There's some familiar names, surely Iwobi from Arsenal, Kaleji mm -hmm. Anacho at Leicester City, Wilfred yeah. Ndidi, Victor Moses, but there's certainly some unfamiliar names as well to maybe a, a casual football fan. Uh, who's going to be key for this Nigeria squad? Is it, you know Who is it in the attack? Who is it in the midfield? And how are they going to look to play here at this World Cup? Uh, another familiar name uh, would be Leon Balogun. Uh, for lovers of the English Premier League, he's just joined up uh, with Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, so I'm sure that's a name they'll get to see more often uh, after the World Cup. Uh, there's also a lineup uh, for lovers of the Premier League as well. Uh, plays for Hull City. Kenneth Romero uh, used to uh, play for Chelsea. Still owned by Chelsea, uh, but then hasn't played much for Chelsea. Uh, a, a few other players here and there. Uh, Victor Moses, of course, uh, plays for Chelsea. Audrey Gallo played for Watford. Ahmed Moussa played uh, for Leicester City as well. Um, I, I think, you know, as uh, opposed to so many other teams uh, that that will be at the World Cup, you know, we talked about Argentina already, and there's a huge reliance on Messi. I, I feel like the Nigerian team is more of a team, and th there'd be a lot of teamwork. There'd be a lot of everyone fighting for everyone. Uh, goals coming from all parts of the pitch. Yes, Victor Moses is the main man. He's the man everyone will be looking at uh, for not just the goals but also creativity, uh, which is a bit of you know burden on him uh, because he's uh, played as a right wing back for Chelsea uh, for two seasons now. But then for the Nigerian team, he's the man who brings creativity, he's the man who brings uh, all the excitement, all the tricks. And he's also the man who gets the goals, uh, which is, you know, kind of like our, our own Messi. I don't know, maybe it has, it has to do with his name starting with an M. But then, you know, that, that, that's it uh, for Nigeria. But, but then there's a lot of teamwork as well. John Michelubi adds his own beat with Fred and Didi. I'm looking at the team as a whole, and I'll be honest with you, Austin, it's really hard to pick that one man uh, that would be most crucial for the team. Besides Victor Moses, who leads from an, or leads an attack, uh, of course, you need goals to win games, and uh, if Victor Moses can bring the creativity and the goals in attack, then you know that you have a chance. Uh, but then, besides Victor Moses, I, I think it's just every other person working very hard and just putting in their shifts. We saw uh, in the last friendly, of course, against Yara Congo, uh, was uh, William Trusdekong who got the goal. And, you know, I think that's a testament to how uh, the Nigerian team can share the goals around. Against Argentina in the friendly as well, uh, Brian Udo was amongst the goal scorers. Uh, so, yeah, it's a clear sign that the team is all about getting goals from different angles. And there isn't so much reliance on one particular man or, you know, two players, or for that matter, uh, to lead the team to glory. And the manager, Deji Gernot Rohr, the German with plenty of experience in Africa. He's managed Gabon, Niger, Burkina Faso, and is now here with Nigeria. Talk a little bit about what he's done with this squad, what he'll look to do at this World Cup, and what he's been like as a manager for this Nigerian side. Obviously a European, but with a lot of experience in Africa, and that certainly is, has helped him in this role. Yeah, uh, he mentioned once, uh, I think that was about last year now, uh, that is having his best time in Africa, uh, right here in Nigeria. He's, uh, well, w when you look at welfare, which usually is a big problem with African countries and uh, with Nigeria in the past as well, welfare has been a problem. But then uh, for the first time in a long while, uh, we're doing well. Uh, and I'm speaking financially now, I'm speaking in terms of money, in terms of salaries and all of that in Nigerian football. Uh, maybe we always do better with the foreign managers, but then that's what it is. Uh, we're not having problems as far as uh, paying the coach is concerned. And, you know, it's always a good sign when uh, everyone is well, uh, you know, 
uh, what's what's the word now? When everyone is well completed, uh, you know, as as far as yeah, as as far as the work is uh, the, the work they've done. Uh, so yeah, he's doing a great job. He's having a great time. Uh, I think what he's done, uh, you know, importantly, is that he's managed to build a team uh, for the first time in a long time. A lot of Nigerians have a clear idea of what the Nigerian team is about, uh, what players will play what position. At the last World Cup, under the late Stephen Keshi, uh, there was a lot, lot of confusion, a lot of uh, you know uncertainty as to what players would make the team, uh, what players would play in what position. Uh, we had uh, Sonny Mba, who scored the winning goal uh, on the Cup of Nations, uh, the Cup of Nations glory. Uh, in 2013, he was dropped for the World Cup in 2014. Uh, yeah, so th- there was a lot of uncertainty then. But then right now, it's clearer. You know which players are most likely to get into the first team. He's managed to keep a first team. He's managed to keep uh, you know a set of players uh, that have consistently uh, made it into the team. The team is also quite young. Uh, so you know that that's something else. Uh, Genaro has looked at. He's looked at young players. He's decided to pick the younger players and give them a chance in the team. And I think what it's done, uh, you know, what what all of this has done is that he's built a team that everyone works for everyone. The team spirit is really good. It's not particularly exciting. And I'll be honest, it's not been uh, very flamboyant. But then it's been effective. It's been, uh, you know, workman-like. These players have worked really hard all through the qualifiers. Uh, They've had some really tough games. Sometimes they've had to defend very deep. Sometimes they've had to uh, put in a shift, like for real. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think you know it's one of the things uh, General Ross brought into the team. Everyone plays the team. So many young players, uh, making it difficult really for opponents to beat Nigeria. Been a while really since we lost a match. Okay, we lost against uh, Serbia in a friendly. That was a really poor game. But then uh, you, you look at many of the games under General and though we haven't been exciting or imposing, it's been solid. I think that's one important element we're taking to the World Cup. Will be very solid. Will be very difficult to beat. And, you know, if we manage to get into the knockout phase, then I think it becomes more crucial. Uh, you know, it's 90 minutes, it's 120 minutes, and then maybe penalties. We saw Portugal do it at, at the Euros. And, you know, I'm not trying to be too patriotic here, but if we get into the knockout phase, I think the, the core uh, of what this team has could be really crucial. And part of that, Deji, that you talked about is Nigeria had probably one of, if not the toughest qualification group in all of Africa with both Cameroon and Algeria in there joined by Zambia. And they came through Mm -hmm. pretty easily from that group on 13 points. They ended up having a match awarded to Algeria that didn't affect the results at all. They came through the hardest group of Africa and they came through with flying colors. Does that give them some sort of expectation now as they head to the World Cup? Is there an expectation in Nigeria that look what this team did on the continent, now here's what they're going to do on the world? What What do you think? It should, yeah? I think so, yeah, absolutely. I, I think Nigeria come to this World Cup, as you said, strong, in form, uh, composed, with a well-built team, and, and I think they're going to make some noise. I'll tell you what, though, uh, it, it doesn't, or you know, it 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 isn't. Uh, it, it's not giving anyone uh, so much more faith. It, it's a bit unfortunate because right here we're, you know, largely pessimistic. We are largely, uh, well, we, we have a lot of doubts, and I think it's come from the disappointment from so many years in the past. Because uh, when, when you raise your hopes, when you think that things would be right, somehow we, you know we tend to falter at the World Cup. Uh, last World Cup was a bit like that because 
we went into the game against France in the second round and uh, there was a lot of optimism after what we managed in the group phase uh, where we lost to only Argentina and that was, you know, uh, marginally as well. Uh, and ultimately, we lost to France uh, by two goals to nil. Uh, a lot of people in Nigeria will uh, lay it uh, right on the injury to a Nazi. So, yeah, mostly when we, when, when we get very excited and optimistic, uh, we tend to fall very flat. I, I think somewhere in the minds of so many Nigerians, we feel like the perfect formula or, you know, the perfect formula to approach these tournaments would be uh, keep your hopes down, uh, don't get too excited, don't get too optimistic. It, it's worked over time. Like you said, worked with the qualifiers. We're emphatic with the qualifiers. Uh, probably the most emphatic we've been uh, since, you know, uh, I don't know, since 94, I don't know. It was, was a great qualifying process. So, I think the mindset for Nigerians going into the World Cup, and you know, I've sampled a lot of Nigerians. It's just, yeah, group stage. Let's have fun. Let's, you know, get a point. Let's get two points. But but it could work in our favor. I wouldn't jinx it. So, I'd say we would have a good World Cup. Maybe it works. Maybe. So, Deji, I was gonna ask, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that you're playing Argentina last? Like, do you think you'd be able to? pick up enough points for to maybe hopefully be already through before you play Argentina or or do you think you're going to have to rely on that Argentina game as a as a crucial one um i think it's a good thing uh, was a good thing at the last world cup because uh, we had iran first and then we withdrew was a goalless draw uh, we had bosnia and herzegovina next and we won that game uh, the Argentina game ultimately uh, became irrelevant. We lost, but then, you know, it was good for us that we qualified already uh, because we had uh, results in the other game going our favour. I think it's good that we're playing Argentina last. It's important, though, that we, we, we get four points. If we had to go through, of course, that is, uh, that we get four points in the first two games. Uh, I really fancy our chances against Iceland and, you know, I'm not playing down the quality they have in the team. Uh, of course, you you know what happens when you play them down. We saw that at the last Euros. But then I really fancy our chances against Iceland. I think we should beat Iceland. It would be really up to us to, to do the job, but then we should beat Iceland. For Croatia, I really believe they have the best quality in that group, uh, you know, man for man, uh, especially in midfield, of course. But if we can get something against Croatia in the first game, then it puts us in good stead uh, to get out of that group. I think playing Argentina last could be you know, an advantage. If we play them first and we lose, uh, could really destabilize the team. And not playing a team as big, at least on paper as Argentina, in your first group game, or in your second group game for that matter, uh, just gives you that, that bit of confidence. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be that first game for both sides yeah. is going to be important because I know that again for Argentina if they can get a win under their belt and and not lose to Croatia then then hopefully mm -hmm. they'll they'll feel as if they've done enough because if they go into that last game needing a result against Nigeria and they have to attack then I really worry about the the pace in our in Argentina's defensive line that I think Nigeria could could really exploit so I think for for both both our sides here, then we're going to hope that the last game is almost a formality um, mm -hmm. and that both sides can make it through. <laughs>
Tom, it's, it's funny you mention it that way because, you know, this is the first of four World Cup group podcasts that I'll record. And I, and I imagine I will hear something similar on, on every single one from just about every single expert. Ah, well, you know, if we, if we could just get something from the first match, win the first match, get something from the second yeah. match, you know, make the third match. It's the recipe is just about the same for every single team in this competition. It's get four points from the first two and maybe the third one won't even matter. And so I, I just enjoy that everybody kind of approaches this the same. And, you know, outside of, of the big, big teams, the Brazils, uh, the Germanys, the, the Frances, everybody kind of looks at it through the same prism of, Four points uh-huh. might be enough to get out of the group, and I just find it so fascinating. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure. I mean, especially in Argentina's case, Iceland seems the most winnable game in on paper. So to get that three points straight away would would put them in good stead for the rest and really calm them down. So yeah, I think I think I, I think the fact that people are looking at four points from Iceland and Croatia is is just testament to how strong we all think Croatia are like no no one no one's getting carried away and thinking yeah we'll definitely beat this Croatia side because they have got absolute quality especially in the middle of the park one other thing I wanted to ask Deji was who's the like young unknown player that that maybe some of our listeners have have never heard of um who you think could make an impact for Nigeria oh okay that, that, that's a tough one <laughs> That, that's, well, that's you know, really... I like to test you. <laughs> um, I'd say Atebo, uh, plays for Las Palmas, moved to Las Palmas, of course, in the last January, uh, the, the last transfer window. Uh, he's on loan from CD Firenze in the Portuguese league. He's a midfielder, attacking midfielder, sometimes a central midfielder, but then he's very mobile. He's uh, technically sound as well, can pass the ball quite well. But then I think what he brings into the Nigerian team uh, and I think he's the only one who really has that 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 putting it into the Nigerian team is the pace and the energy he brings in. He was at the last Olympics uh, for Nigeria and was quite prolific, scored some really good goals at the last Olympics. Uh, so, yeah, I think he could be the man. He's not a guaranteed starter for Nigeria. But then if at some point in the World Cup we need some pace, we need some legs, uh, we need an energetic midfielder who can pass the ball, who can... Uh, you know, support John Michelobi, who's aging, by the way, hasn't been playing 90 minutes uh, in the last few games for Nigeria, then I think Atebo could be the man. Uh, if you are a huge uh, fan of La Liga, then I'm sure you remember Las Palmas versus Barcelona uh, towards the end of the season, ended goalless that one. Atebo was really huge for Las Palmas in the game. Uh, so, yeah, you know, to answer your question, that, that's the only one who comes to my mind is, is 22 as well. So, yeah, pretty young. Tom, I'll pose the same question to you. As we look at this Argentina squad, we've mentioned you know a lot of veterans on it, maybe not as much of the young flares as we kind of hoped or thought. Lautaro Martinez doesn't make the cut. Fabricio Bustos, a player that you and I had certainly both hoped on our Scouting Spotlight podcast could, could slide into that right-back spot, ends up missing the final 23. But there still are some young or maybe even just some unfamiliar faces in this Argentina squad. And, and Maxi Mesa, the Independiente player, who's, who's already 26, Six, but certainly probably a bit unknown to a European audience. And then Lo Celso at Paris Saint-Germain is a player that impressed me when, when he was at Rosario Central and could play a big role. And then I think, you know, the player that you and I are maybe most excited to see here, Christian Pavon, uh, the 22-year-old from Boca Juniors on the wing, who's certainly one that's caught our eye in South America. Yeah, I think I think you've 
covered it well there. Uh, this, like you said, it's it's an old squad. There are only three players under the age of 25. Pavon, Lo Celso, both 22, and then Dybala's 24. A couple of 25-year-olds in there as well. But yeah, it's there's not a lot to choose from in terms of young talent. So I think Pavon would be the one that most people don't know quite as much about. And I think the way that Argentina are going to play is going to suit Pavon and his his chance to play because yeah he can play wide right he can play wide left if he needs to he can he can be kind of a more of a traditional forward I guess as well so I think the fact that he offers that balance on the right so if you've probably got Di Maria on the left Pavon on the right then he he provides sort of goals assists a lot of verticality and pace so I think that's why he was was chosen even though maybe you could argue that Lautaro is more of a maybe more of an a future star than Pavon. But I think Pavon has shown though for Boca that he's he's got a really exciting future ahead of him, and I just think he fits the system really nicely. So I think a lot of people will be seeing him for the first time. As you mentioned, Lo Celso, I think in terms of players who are actually going to make a big impact in most of the games, I think he'll be the he'll be the one who goes from a name that people know about to a proper household name. And yeah, like like you said, there's some older players like Dalia Fico, like Meza, who I'm sure pe- people haven't seen much of. And fingers crossed for uh, Armani, you know, potentially getting his debut and uh, and putting on a good Imagine show. Imagine that uh, your war- your debut in an Argentina shirt comes in the first game of the World Cup. That would huh? just be incredible. Exactly, yeah. The storylines, man. The storylines, especially when you know maybe six months or 12 months ago we thought that he could have been naturalized colombian starting in goal for them and now he's handed an opportunity like this with that injury to romero well now we've talked about argentina and nigeria let's shift into iceland the story that everybody wants to talk about here in world football a stunning success at the 2016 euros we're joined now by the guys from sons of ice and fire on twitter who are going to take us through this iceland team hey there uh, my name is einar Lovdal. And with me is Johan Pall Orstaldsson. And we're part of uh, the Sons of Ice and Fire, a news outlet that covers the Icelandic national team. Uh, we'd like to start off by thanking World Football Index for having us. We're still trying to kind of grasp the idea or the thought that we're going to the World Cup. Iceland is going to the World Cup. Uh, but we didn't get there overnight. And so we'd like to take a minute to put Iceland's success into perspective. So guys, in the World Cup qualifiers between the years 1974 and 2010, Iceland won only 16 matches in total. However, in the 2014 and 2018 qualification combined, the last two qualification campaigns, Iceland won 12 matches. We basically went from footballing minnows to a threat to be reckoned with in a very short time. But this isn't just coincidence. This didn't just happen overnight. There are many factors at play. What people have to realize, though, is that we're basically coming from the basement of European football. We were very much a team like Andorra or, or Cyprus are today. That's, yeah, that's the kind of crazy thing about it. it. It seems only yesterday that we were in, like, the what we ranked 131st on the FIFA rankings. But now, like, only, I think, five years later, we're, we're a top 20 nation. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, in the recent years... Obviously, a lot of like foreign journalists have, have traveled to Iceland to try to try to find the secret behind Iceland's success. And I mean, the short answer is there isn't really a secret. But obviously, as you mentioned, this isn't a con- coincidence. We uh, obviously the Football Association invested a lot in youth coaching, um, which 
we've been reaping the benefits from. Mm-hmm. And there, um, there are no dads coaching the teams. It's all qualified coaches from the minute they start training football, basically. And on top of that, obviously, they also uh, invested in infrastructure, like indoor football fields, where Icelanders all of a sudden could like practice good football all year round, which obviously also helped. Um, but also, I think we kind of just embrace the fact that like we'll never be the best football nation right exactly i mean if we're gonna play the same game as game as spain or france with their millions of people we simply can't compete on their level mm-hmm. no that's true we kind of just yeah embraced uh, just the concept of team spirit and took it from there um but we also have to kind of mention that we also got lucky lucky is always an aspect in this and we we got just this generation like a golden generation that has kind of been like the backbone of the team for the last five years which is was like this uh group of guys that qualified for the euros in 2011 like the under 21s um, and they kind of just learned how to win or, or became accustomed to winning and obviously confidence confidence is one hell of a drug when you <laughs> walk into the football field and, and believe that you're going to win that helps as well yeah it does it's ex- expectations we walked onto mm-hmm. the pitch in the years past and we, we were just happy if they gave it the role having said yeah. that though we still are kind of in that place but now the team itself kind of expects yeah win. and on top of that we've been fortunate to to be managed by first Lars Lagerbeck the Swede who kind of yeah turned things around regarding the national team he, he deserves a lot of credit but mm-hmm. from day one he had by his side a guy named Heimir Hallgrimsson um, who is now the head coach or the, the, the manager of the team yeah and can we just talk about the fact that the massive bullet we dodged uh, when we signed Lars Lagerbeck because we were just about to sign Roy Keane as our manager. <laughs> uh, Very true. We love you, Roy, but it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been no, the same. No, definitely not. I mean, people always mention the fact that he's a dentist, which is true. He's a part-time dentist. I mean, let's not forget that he is a real coach. Uh, we would never have qualified for the World Cup if we just had some amateur as the head coach. Right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he has his dentist office still. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. open in the Westman Islands, mm-hmm. his hometown, Westman Ayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, actually, a funny story. Recently, uh, he was um, attending a, a top division uh, women's match in Westman Islands. Mm-hmm. And uh, a player lost her tooth. So he just popped into his dentist's office and uh, <laughs> put the tooth back in, you know. He's, um, he's kind of a everyman. He's just like a guy that you could walk up the street and you can relate to. But uh, I've been like scrolling through my Twitter feed uh, in the recent days, and and I noticed that there's like a lot of bitter Englishmen that are kind of talking about the our defeat, their loss against night, the Euros that night in yep. Nice. Sorry exactly. guys, sorry guys. <laughs> exactly. But also I noticed that there's a lot of like neutrals and even or maybe they're Argentinian um, supporters that are kind of really sure that we're only going to the World Cup to try to frustrate opponents and try to park the bus. I don't know what to think of that. I mean, I get where they're coming from, right? We're a defensive-minded defensive team. Defense comes mm-hmm. first. The mantra of the team yep. is never get beaten one-on-one. That's, yeah, that's what true. we base our success on, basically. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we always get our chances in the matches. And we, yeah, we always, always score. Yeah, yeah, we always score. We always <laughs> have a feeling we're going to score, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, yeah. we're kind of... We kind of revel in defending, you know. We like seeing wave of wave of, of, of attack failing, you know. That's where our guys mm-hmm. grow in strength. Definitely. We have to talk players as well, um, like key players to, to Iceland's success. The obvious Gilvi Sigurdsson. As I say, yeah, he's kind of our, our golden boy in a way. Plays for Everton, obviously. Uh, but then we have like the face of our team, Aaron Gunnarsson, the mm-hmm. captain. Um, Both of them on the comeback trail from an injury. Gilvi's kicking a ball. 
that's true. Yeah, that's a positive. That's Always a, positive. a good thing to see. Good thing. Uh, but maybe we'd also have to name Johan Berg-Wilmundsson, the winger who plays for Burnley. Definitely. Mm. He's riding on a high into the tournament. Yeah, taking everything into account. We really don't rely on one player, and that's what I what, what I like about our team. Yeah, it's a, it, it sounds like a cliche saying the key player is the team, but that's kind of what it is. We, we're a system team. We yeah. don't rely on individual brilliance as much as other teams. To that point, I mean, we're even leaving out of the squad a guy who's been like a goal machine in, in a lot of divisions, Vedar Ört Kjartansson, who plays mm-hmm. in Israel nowadays. Um, so, I mean, that, that shows you that we're not, really, we're not really relying on individuals, right? So, uh, like, our opening match is just around the corner. Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> Argentina! Si, si, si. Claro. Um, I mean, I've been trying to kind of think of, I mean, what would make me happy about our results? Or just, like, would I, would I be satisfied if we only, like, score one goal? I don't know. I mean, I'm on the same page as the team. We're aiming for going through to the knockout stages, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a possibility. We can't forget that we topped our qualification group for the World Cup featuring exactly. Ukraine, Turkey, Croatia. We had four teams that went to the Euros. It was not mm-hmm. bad teams. We topped it. Obviously there, we, we were ahead of Croatia, so... Let's just hope it stays that way. We're all kind of tired of Croatia at this point, to be honest. I mean, we've met them so many times. Nigeria, we faced them once before, won them once in the cold. uh, I don't know what they were doing here. Why did they come play a friendly in Iceland in 1983 or whatever it was? I have no idea. It might be due to the fact that we, we import, like dried fish to nigeria yeah actually true <laughs> could, could <laughs> a lot be. of it <laughs> yeah yeah or export or whatever yeah, um yeah. exactly well, yeah, so 100 percent win rate against them that looks good you know it does <laughs> so i mean if you count on that if you can count on results against nigeria and croatia i mean game against Ar- argentina can just anything can happen yeah I mean, but really all jokes aside that's actually in my my opinion like the key match mm-hmm. just like the, in the euros we we began our euro campaign against the portugal Mm-hmm. and the team that actually went on to win the tournament, obviously. That's but, exactly. I mean, uh, Portugal got the lead 1-0, one, one, one but we, we uh, drew the game, in, uh, and, I mean, that's where the magic began, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, don't be surprised, and, guys, if Iceland Argentina goes 1-1, one, one, and uh, <laughs> they go all the way to the finals, and they win the finals. So, we believe we're going to the knockout stages, but really, to be honest, I would all I ask for is just like this one crazy moment where I, where I can just... Lose it. Don't doesn't matter if it's a win or just one crazy goal. Yeah, just one but banger from Gilby. That's all we need, man. Like, that's true. I mean, it's the World Cup. Can't ask for too much. But like officially, um, like my official statement is, we're going through. Bada bim, bada boom. So I think that's all for us today. Thank you once again. Make sure to check us out on Twitter. We're the Sons of Ice and Fire. Uh, that's Sons, then like the dash on the on the lower tier, no, whatever you call it. Yeah, I mean, guys, we're speaking in your language. Bear with us. But yeah, a, a lower tier dash. Sons, <laughs> Ice, Fire. Hmm? Bingo. That's on Twitter. Check, Check us out. Cheers. Pretty crazy to see Iceland at a World Cup. Now we're joined by our Croatian expert in split, Juraj Verdoglag. Juraj, thank you so much for coming on the show. Croatia, they've got the best kits in world football, but they've not been successful at the World Cup since they reached the third place match in 1998. Juraj, what makes this squad different for Croatia? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, as far as Croatia goes, well, it's a bit tough because uh, this is probably... Uh, the last chance for this generation to make something big on the the World Cup stage. 
considering the fact that a lot of players are already uh, aging, so, such as Luka Modric, uh, Ivan Rakitic, Mario Mandzukic, they are all uh, aging, and this is perhaps their last chance to do something big uh, in the national team. Yeah, Croatia is uh, it's always reckoned as sort of either dark horse or a potential upset for. The, the, the elite teams or top teams, but they haven't had significant success back from, I mean, apart from the 98s, there wasn't any major success on the World Cup stage. It's hard to, it's hard to predict the, thing, the way things will be. They are, the expectations are always high, but uh, the, the, the product in the end is always kind of disappointing. So. You're right, you mentioned some of the big names in this squad. You, know, you look at the spine of this team. There's Modric, there's Rakitic, both playing for Real Madrid and Barcelona, respectively. There's Kovacic, who could be in there as well, the youngster for Real Madrid at, at 24. What is expected of that spine in the midfield, and what is kind of their role on a match-by-match basis playing together for Croatia? And how does that maybe differ from what those guys do for their clubs? Uh, yeah, the midfield is always is presented as a headache for any national team uh, coach because it's hard to to sort of cramp all those great players in the first team. You have uh, Modric, Rakitic, who Rakitic was actually pulled back from his natural role as an attacking midfielder uh, at probably a bit later than he was switched more deep in Barcelona after he joined from Seville. So, yeah, you have Modric, you have Rakitic uh, in in the center of the field, and you have either Brozovic or Winger, such as Perisic, or, and um, it's, it'll be interesting to see who will play the, the, the second wide player on the wing. Uh, so yeah, that that's the, the that's the hardest part for any Croatian team national team manager uh, to give a suitable role for each player and to get the best out of them. It, it's a sort of it's a recurring thing, and um, no one really managed to make something out of it completely. It's Modric is obviously the best player in this squad. Uh, he's the, the, the spine and he's the brain of the midfield. Uh, Rakitic, well, it depends. Uh, back in the Euros, back on the Euros in France, the then national team manager Ante Cacic used him closer to the goal as sort of like diamond formation, but he, he experimented and it never really turned out that well. So, but I reckon that Zlatko Dalic, our new national team manager who led the Croatian national team all for only for uh, two official games versus Ukraine in the playoffs. So I reckon that he won't be uh, that prone to experimenting. He will probably uh, look to, to field both Rakitic and Modric in their deeper roles. Uh, We could basically look for potential surprises on the wings, uh, considering that you have Ante Rebic from Eintracht Frankfurt, who actually scored twice in the German Cup final a short while ago versus Bayern Munich. So he's a potential rising star in this national team squad, but it's not certain as of now uh, it, it's not really certain that he will start considering that the the, the left flank is uh, basically reserved for Ivan Perisic of Inter who 
didn't have such a great season in the end, uh, although he started really good. But um, he, he's probably the best player in this national squad, uh, apart from Modric, so in terms of form. It will it'll be interesting to see the, the centre-back positions as well, because uh, Vedran Chorluka, another... It'll be interesting to see if he'll be fit. Uh, if not, we'll most likely see Domagoj Vida of Besiktas and uh, Dejan Lovren of uh, Liverpool in, uh, as the two centre-backs. But... Uh, the, 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 uh, I add, I'd also add the left-back position, which still isn't quite clear who will take the first-team place in the in the left-back position. It, it'll most likely be Ivan Strinic, who recently signed for Milan. He'll be wearing Milan jersey the next season. Um, uh, Josip Pivaric is there as well. He's uh, a member of Dynamo Kiev. So that that's one more position that uh, we'll focus on to see who will make the cut. You're the qualification for Croatia for this World Cup. They're actually beaten out by Iceland in the group and, and as you said, had to come through in the playoffs to actually make this World Cup. Did so fairly easily. And now they find Iceland in their group again. What did you make of Croatia in qualifying? And as you said, they ended up changing managers before that playoff. How do you think that will affect them going into this World Cup? Uh, well, that's another recurring uh, thing about the Croatian national team. They always start very well in the qualifiers. And uh, as the time passes by, neither manager in the recent years had the idea of turning, turning things around once they go downhill. The same happened to Ante Cacic. Uh, he was really mocked by a large population of fans in Croatia because of his relationship with the with Zdravko Mamic, who is kind of like a top villain in Croatian football, the, he had limited references to actually be a national team manager. But um, he did an okay job back in the Euros. But during these qualifiers, he kind of lost the idea of turning things around once his initial idea was gone down the drain. They they did basically what they do. Every time they they dropped form and uh, they jeopardized the whole thing in the final two or three rounds. And basically they turned to an emergency uh, solution and they switched manager. It was not that surprising uh, that Iceland uh, came ahead of Croatia because um, Iceland uh, lacks perhaps some big names that Croatia have, but they have a well-organized team and their system is really consistent and the players are really adapted to it. You couldn't really say Croatia has a system that is imposed and they and that they, that they the players are accustomed to. Uh, Dalic was here, like I said, for only two official games versus Greece in the playoffs, but uh, we'll have to see during these friendlies which system or the mechanisms in the and on the field will will Zlatko Dalic impose on the players. So we, we have yet to see the system that Croatia will undertake. The atmosphere around the national team is really uh, bad at the moment, and it's going—it's been going on for a couple of years now. It's mostly because of the relationship between the FA and the fans, and uh, 
the FA has some really corrupt people inside of their their board of directors, and the fans are really bit a bit disillusioned. And you're right now. I want to get your potential breakout players. You've mentioned a lot of the veteran names in this Croatian squad. They will rely a lot on those veterans. But are there any maybe younger guys who fly a bit under the radar? Uh, you've already mentioned Rebic, who you think could could kind of break out on the world stage here at the World Cup. Well, Rebic, I'd pinpoint definitely Rebic as a potential uh, prospect to, and the one to watch uh, in the Croatian squad. Marko Piazza is also a great talent, but he had a really bad injury that left him uh, injured and away from the field for a really long time. So it was kind of a bit, it was a bit surprising that he made the final cut, uh, but he's also a really elite talent. So I, I'd point out uh, Piazza and Rebic, especially Rebic, as the ones to watch in this squad that are lesser known here. And finally, Uri, I want to get your predictions. You've painted a pretty interesting picture here for Croatia, as we've covered on the podcast. It's a pretty interesting group all around with plenty of storylines. How do you think Group D will end up? Who are the two teams that you think will come out? Well, like I said, it's hard to predict because it is a really tough group. I'd say Croatia will make the cut and will go through. I think Argentina will go as will top the group, regardless of their current form, because... Um, they have the individual quality to, to solve this 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 type of matches. Croatia, I'd say the, the vital match will be the one against uh, Iceland. It's their make it or break it match. If they win that match, they'll be on their way to, to secure the, the, the next round. Thank you so much, Yuri. Before I let you go, I do just want to get uh, where you are on social media for any of the listeners here on the World Football Index who want to follow you and if there's anything you'd like to plug. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you can follow me on, I have a Twitter account. It's Yuri Vrdoljak. And uh, I'm writing on Telesport, uh, but it's on, in Croatian. So if any of you can speak Croatian, then come swing by. Thanks much to Uri. And now as we get set to close out this Group D preview podcast, now let's check back in with our Nigerian expert, Deji. Deji, how do you see this group going? You painted a pretty rosy picture for Nigeria when we were talking about them. A lot of hope, a lot of uh, positive outlook for them, but time to put your money where your mouth is. Do you think Nigeria can get out of this group? And Who do you think will join them, or who do you think will be the two teams to come out of Group D? Okay, so I'll start by not jinxing it. Uh, I, I thought I painted a gloomy picture. Because that's what we love to do. Uh, probably works better that way. Yeah, always works better that way. Uh, so I'd say, you know, it will be really difficult to get something against Croatia. Um, I think I think we'll be playing for a draw in that game. If we get a draw, it'll be a really huge one for Nigeria. Um, against Iceland, like I said earlier, I think we should really fancy our chances. If we can beat Iceland, we have no business at the World Cup. Uh, that, that's the team we really should be targeting. Uh, should try and get something against Iceland. And, you know, l like you said, if we get into Argentina, uh, knowing that we still have uh, hopes uh, of qualifying, uh, then I think the Argentina game could really get very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I I'm looking at getting something in Croatia and Iceland, maybe two points, maybe four points. That'd be really huge. Uh, if it's two points, then, you know, we, we go all and lay everything into the Argentina. Game. If it's four points, then I, I feel you know it should be enough, maybe in the end, to qualify. Uh, so, yeah, that, that'll be my prediction. But Iceland, we should beat Iceland, shouldn't we? You would shouldn't. think. 
But that's what England thought too at the Euros in 2016, and we saw yeah. how that turns out. Yeah. Tom, time that to come to you. <laughs> Tom, time to come to you now for your prediction. How do you see this group playing out? Do you think Argentina have enough to get out of it? Who do you think they'll be joined by? I think they will get out of it because they have Messi. <laughs> that is the you know the not necessarily the joker up their sleeve, but that is the thing that converts them and always gives you a chance of you know, tipping the tipping a tie in your balance. So I think that Argentina will qualify. I don't think they'll necessarily top the group. I think um, maybe second place in the group wouldn't be a surprise. And as much as I would like Nigeria to go through, I think Croatia's quality would probably um, see them through as well. Maybe as group winners, depending on how the Argentina game goes. And yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting and i think this is a group that's ripe for surprises i think you know maybe we might expect um some of the games to go one way and you know iceland to get a shock result against someone or croatia or argentina not to beat someone that they would maybe expect to i have a feeling that it won't go the way we've predicted and bold of you to say that it could be anything bold of you to say that before i've even given my prediction tom uh, well, yeah. I mean, okay. So just to just to summarize, I think Argentina will go through, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say second place in the group. Right. To who I don't know, but probably Croatia. To Nigeria. There you <laughs> go. So. There you go. Uh, before we get to the plugs from these guys, I do want to give my prediction for this group D. I've been down on Argentina. I was impressed by them once in qualification. It was that Ecuador match. I think they're gonna fail to get out of this World Cup group. I like Croatia to top the group like Nigeria to come in second and go through that final match between Nigeria and Argentina, I think will be a really interesting one. And I think the friendly win for Nigeria in November will do enough to propel them over the line, get them past Argentina and, uh, and, and out of this group stage. I think Argentina, shockingly maybe to some, end up missing out on the knockout rounds at the World Cup. Well, before we close out, I want to give these guys a chance to let you, the listener, know where you can find them on social media. Deji, I'll start with you. It was great to have you on the show. So, so thankful you took the time to come and talk with us. Hope it was an enjoyable experience for you. Where can the listeners find you? Good, good. Where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And is there anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, So it's at DJ Farami on Twitter. That's at D-E-E-J-Y-F-A-R-E-M-I. At DJ Farami on Twitter. Same on Instagram. And on Twitter as well. And I have a YouTube. Uh, it's Tregong TV. That's T-R-E-G-O-N-G TV. Uh, so, yeah, you could watch some really cool stuff. Uh, football content, sports content generally. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's it. Thank you so much. And, Tom, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yep. Listeners can follow me on Twitter at TomRobbo89. Um, there'll be lots of South American and Argentine related content going up there we've just recorded a um uh, the final group stage copy libertadores pod so i imagine that'll be up around the same sort of time um and yeah player profiles as usual so yeah just just keep it locked on i'll be uh watching all of the world cup so there'll be there'll be opinions about about everything i imagine 
I imagine opinions on the World Cup won't be difficult to find on Twitter in June mm-hmm. and July. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Be sure to follow the World Football Index for all of the latest from us, including each of our eight World Cup group previews. This has been Group D. We'll have all of them covered for you in the buildup to Russia 2018. Thank you for listening. All that's left for me to say is thank you to everybody who joined us on this week's show. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>